book of Judges, if you'll turn there. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible. As we study through the Bible, it kind of makes sense to have a Bible in your hands. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22 says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, Philadelphia love, fervently love one another from the heart, agape love. Now a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that I fully believe the Lord had given a specific word to the Bridge Christian Fellowship. It plays into, by the way, the whole idea of small groups giving us more opportunity, connection, fellowship, to be together. But I believe that the Lord is calling us to move on from Philadelphia to the city of Agape. Move out from Philadelphia. Leave behind brotherly love. Brotherly love is a good thing. It's a good thing to care about family and friends and to have that, you know, that I like you kind of affection for people. But the Lord is saying, I want you to love the way I love. I want you to have an unconditional, no strings attached, no requirements love. I want you, my people, to learn to love even if those you're loving do not return that love. Even if those you are attempting to love are spurning that love, the Lord says, I want you to love the way I do. If any one person has been spurned throughout all history, it's the Lord, and yet He loves. He loves. Now, if this truly was a leading by the Lord, if He truly is saying to the Bridge Fellowship, I want you to love each other, I want you to move on to that deeper form of love, then you should expect for it to begin popping up in the teachings. Though we're about to enter into the book of Judges, which I would think would be an unlikely place to have lessons on love, you should expect to be hearing it. And not because I'm sitting there during the week trying to figure out how I can take a teaching and work it into this place of agape, you know, talking about love. I believe the Lord is wonderful at bringing together what we need to hear in this place, in this time, even though we just happen to be walking through the Scriptures. And so it is this morning... And I say this, gang, to sensitize you to be paying attention. If the Lord is telling this fellowship to be a fellowship of agape, then pay attention to what He's saying, even in the teachings, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, in your conversations, in your own personal Bible study, pay attention. For if He's saying, I want you to love, He's going to be showing us how to do that. So pay attention, keep your eyes wide open, as we hopefully... and desire to move to the city of Agape. Now, the book of Judges will be in chapter 1 this morning. But I want to give you a little background. We went in depth into some background on Wednesday night. And I invite you to join us on Wednesday night because there are some stories that we're just not going to hear on Sunday morning that happen in this book that we'll be covering on Wednesday night over the next several weeks. We'll cover as many as we can on Sunday morning, but the the full meal, I've said this before, the full meal happens Sundays and Wednesdays. It's the combination of the two. You get the whole, the big picture. Everything. The big picture to the most intimate details. But the book of Judges is a storyteller's delight. This book is filled with fascinating tales of adventure, breathtaking successes and failures, holy visitations and pagan altercations, even graphic horror stories that should be rated R for disturbing images. All contained in the next book that we're about to enter. It is not a book for the faint of heart. It's a book that I am thankful I didn't run across in my own personal Bible study until later in life as opposed to earlier because it would have literally freaked me out. 
some of what's talked about in here. It's a book for the adventurer, the explorer, even the biblical thrill seeker. But don't just seek the thrills with it. As we study through, listen to what the Lord is saying. Seek the deeper meat. We're going to read about people like Ehud. Ehud, who's the namesake of Israel's current prime minister, Ehud Omer. Ehud, who drives his sword into the belly of Moab's king Eglon, who, by the way, is the only person the Bible literally describes as a very fat man. He drives his sword so deep into Eglon's belly that the handle disappears and the flesh closes up around it. We're going to read that story. It's very cool. You're going to learn of a woman named Jael. And Jael takes the commander of the Canaanite army, a man by the name of Sisera, offers him some warm milk. He goes 99 and while he sleeps, she drives a tent peg through the right temple of his skull and down into the ground. <laughs> We're going to look at a most disturbing situation. Years ago, a movie came out called Fargo, which I do not recommend. It was at the tail end of, of Cheryl and I trying to decide not to see R-rated movies. And this particular movie has one of the grossest, most brutal scenes that I had ever seen in a movie before. Where one of the criminals takes the other criminal and kills him and then feeds his body into a wood chipper. Now that's gross, that's awful. But in the book of Judges, we're going to read a story where a Levite takes his concubine, who ends up raped and murdered, and cuts her into 12 pieces and FedExes those 12 pieces to all the 12 tribes of Israel. Right here in this book, the book of Judges. Talk about disturbing images. But you're also going to hear great stories of the judges of Israel during this difficult and dark period of time. This, this bridge, this gap between Joshua and the coming of Israel's first king, who will be King Saul. Who will be anointed by Samuel. We'll get to that in the book of 1 Samuel. So we go Judges, we get to read Ruth, and then we get to 1 Samuel. And so Judges is that historical bridge, but within that bridge, you're going you're gonna to learn about these fantastic judges, these, these superheroes, literally. When you hear the word judges, don't think of black cloaks and gab- gabbles. When you hear the word judges, think of Marvel Comics. Superheroes. The word judges is shofatim in the Hebrew. Shofatim. Shofat would be judge. Shofatim would be the judges. And it indicates not just one who sits down to administer justice, but one who delivers. You could call this the book of the deliverers. Thirteen in all that we will meet and learn about. Twelve men, one woman. And I say think of Marvel Comics because you have men like Shamgar. Shamgar, one of the judges, the third judge, who is comparable to Superman. Shamgar, Superman, kills 600 Philistines with a cattle prod. That's pretty impressive. Then you have Deborah. You compare, compare her maybe to Electra, you know, of the Marvel Comics fame. She defeats the massive Canaanite army with an all-volunteer army of Israelites. Deborah, on Mount Tabor, there in Israel. You'll see Samson, comparable to the Incredible Hulk. Samson, that stud of great strength, he picks off Philistines like they were toy soldiers in his life, and ultimately he kills more Philistines on the day of his death than he does in his entire life before that. Amazing stories of great faith, of great deliverance. Super people. 
who are empowered by a gracious God who in spite of the faithlessness of Israel continually comes back to deliver them time and time again. You could say it this way, the book of Judges delivers. This is a great book and an interesting one. Three, way, three things to jot down if you're a note taker. Quickly, just to jot down by way of introduction to this book. I want you to pay attention to as we study through, number one, the character of the judges. The character of the judges. They are flawed heroes, faulty deliverers. And it's interesting to me and somewhat encouraging that these great deliverers also have great sin in their lives. They mess it up royally. They're called into great acts of service and deliverance, but on the next page, they mess it up royally. And I think, wow, now that's someone who I can relate to. For there are times in my life of great deliverance. Man, the the Lord is working through me and I feel empowered and I feel like it's all under control and it's going well. And the next page of my life, I am flawed and and faulty and messed up and, and sinning. I'm wondering, Lord, what happened? How can, how can I be so spiritual on the one hand and so physical on the other hand? And we've shared this many times. We all walk in the flesh. As long as we're bound to these fleshly, earthly bodies, that's going to be the deal. Now the Lord is nurturing and growing us and, and hopefully you're stronger this year than you were last year. Hopefully you understand more. You're more in the way of the Lord walking with Him now than you were a decade ago. But you're still going to trip up and fall. You're still going to have these great moments where you're on the heights, on the mountaintop with God, and then you're going to have moments in the valley where everything's falling apart. But God is faithful and He continues to deliver. So pay attention to the character of the judges, for their behavior will both amaze and shock you. Secondly, the connection from Joshua. The connection from Joshua. I already mentioned there's a bridge of about 400 years between Joshua and the first king of Israel. And this is the period of the judges. So the character of the judges is important. The connection from Joshua. And finally, number three, and we talked about this at length Wednesday night. The cycle of judgment. The cycle of judgment. For you're going to see Israel follow a similar pattern throughout this book. And here it is. They begin with compromise. They begin with compromise. And then they chase after other gods. I'll say this a couple of times if you're jotting this down. Compromise, and then suddenly they begin to chase after other gods through their compromise. And so the Lord allows them to follow those other gods, and they end up, number three, crushed by their enemies. But when they're crushed by their enemies, they realize the error of their ways, and they cry out to the Lord, number four. Cry out to the Lord. And the Lord, with compassion, number five, with compassion, He delivers them. And so, number six, they come back to the Lord, only to compromise again, and the pattern starts all over. Compromise, chasing after other gods. They're crushed by their enemies. They cry out to the Lord. Compassion and deliverance comes from the Lord. They come back to the Lord, and then they compromise. And it's the cycle of judgment, the cycle of the judges, the Shofa team that you will see again and again. Why is that? Judges 17 verse 6 gives us the key verse of this entire book. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. If we live life with no king, we will be subject to the cycle of judgment. 
It is only when our life is under the lordship of the great King Jesus that we are rescued from that cycle of judgment. But if we attempt to live with no king, if we just simply do what we think is right in our own eyes, like the people of Israel in the days of the judges, we will be subject to that cycle. And it happens again and again, compromise leading to that crushing, leading to despair. Now, for this morning... The Bible, as we've seen, is an incredible picture book. In fact, we've said before that for every New Testament principle, you can find an Old Testament picture. That's what I love about the way we're studying the Bible. Remember when we first began, and I I shared, I told Tom, that we're going to start in Genesis and start working our way through the Bible. And it was about a year or so after that that Tom said, Boy, Rick, when you said we were going to start in Genesis and work our way through, he said, I I didn't know if that was going to work. I didn't know if we are going to, you know, because you get on into Leviticus and Numbers and you get kind of caught up in some of that stuff. And, and I want to know about Jesus. I want to hear about Jesus. Well, if you've been here any length of time, you know that's exactly what has happened. We hear about Jesus constantly. As a matter of fact, though we are studying through the Old Testament, we're constantly in the New Testament. Because every time we see a picture in the Old Testament, we find that principle applied in the New Testament. And what's great about this is when we get to the New Testament, in oh, a few months or so, when we get there, every principle that we study there will be applied or we'll see picture form back in the Old Testament. We're going to bring the Old Testament back up. So when we study through the New, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the Old, once again, because it's complementary. I like what I read just this morning. It's not the Old Testament, it's the Older Testament. The Older and the Newer Testament. But it's all one Testament. And it's all one word that comes from the Lord. And so we have real stories with real application. And this morning's story is no different. Let's consider this briefly as we read on. Beginning in verse 1 of Judges chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up, for I have given the land into his hand. A little quick side note, we talked about this Wednesday, but I've got to repeat myself here. The word Judah, Judah means praise. Remember, Judah in Hebrew means praise. So how do you fight? How do you go up against the enemy? Praise leads the way. Worship leads the way. If you're having a struggle, if you're up against a storm, worship. Worship. It is amazing to me how worship invigorates and and reinstates us in that walk with the Lord. Judah leads the way. Judah shall go first. Praise shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. Verse 3. Then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I, in turn, will go with you into the territory allotted you. Now, you may recall Simeon's territory was in the middle of Judah's territory. And Simeon and Judah were blood brothers, both their father Jacob and their mother Leah. So they had the same parents. And so these two tribes were very closely connected, one within the other, and blood brothers together. And so it tells us, verse 3, that Simeon went up with him. Judah went up, verse 4, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they defeated 10,000 men at Bedzek. Now, you might say, hang on a second. I thought the land was theirs. I thought the land was defeated. I thought the Lord had given every good thing into their hands. Everything that He had promised. And He had. He promised to give them their inheritance. To give them the land. He didn't guarantee it would be completely cleaned out. That He left to Israel. 
He gave them the foothold they needed. He gave them the territory. But he said, I want you to fight out. I want you to drive out. Why would he do that? Well, one of the reasons was simply that they would grow in strength. That the Lord allows in our lives, like he did with Israel, conflict that we might become stronger. As we fight back, as we drive out those things that come against us, we get stronger. You might not feel that way at first. As a matter of fact, you may feel weaker at first. But God is developing strength in us. And so those pockets of resistance, those hot spots, were still there. The victory's been won, but there's still work to do. And maybe that's why Peter said, it's time to move from Philadelphia. Because unconditional love is tough in a conditional world of sin. Unconditional love is hard when we live in a conditional world. When the vast majority of relationships are based on condition, not on love. And you know what I mean. The vast majority of our relationships, if you agree with me, if you're on my side, if you're doing the things that please me, we got a good relationship. But you start to go head to head with me, you start to make my life miserable, you start to reject my overtures of goodwill, I'm moving on. Conditional living. And that's the world that we're in. And it is hard to develop unconditional love. No one's saying that this is easy, gang. The reality is, Galatians 5.17, Paul writes, The flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. Jesus has come. The battle is won. But there remain in our lives pockets of resistance to the power of the Lord. Pockets of resistance to the saving grace of Jesus. And so, gang, at least part of the reason why we remain on this earth after we are saved, why we live out our years as saved believers in Jesus, part of the reason is He is calling us to drive out the pockets of resistance. Be it sin in our own lives, or even resistance in a, in a more regional or national or global sense, that we are to drive out that sin. I shared just last night with some friends that part of the reason we believe that the bridge was planted here on North Whidbey, in the middle of towns, not in a town, was because the Lord determined there was a lot of darkness in this area and there needed to be light to drive out a pocket of resistance in this area. And we have seen remnants of that. And we have already seen battles of that kind of resistance that we've had to face. But hey, that's the deal. We're here to drive those things out, those pockets. And so rightfully, that's what Judah and Simeon do. They root out the Canaanites that are in their territory in a great post-Joshua victory. But watch what they do next. It's one of those barbaric acts written about in this book. Verse 5. They found Adonai Bedzek. This is the king of the Canaanites here. Adonai Bedzek. They found him in Bedzek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bedzek fled. And they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Well, that's a little strange. That's an interesting thing to note here. Adonai Bedzek is the Lord of Lightning. That's what his name means. This guy's a king over an area. Pretty powerful king at the time. He was a heathen king of a pagan people. And when he realized that he had lost, he fled. He ran away like a little girl. No offense, ladies. And Israel caught up with him, and they chop off his thumbs and his big toes. 
Now this is a first mention in the Bible. We talk about the principle of first mention and there are times where the first time it comes up in the Bible there's something to be learned from it oftentimes. This is the first time Israel's done this. Cut off someone's thumbs and big toes. And the first question that comes to my mind is what they do with them. Haul them off in a tow truck? <laughs> well, come on. They had to get rid of them. Someone could have ended up with tomate poisoning. Dang, this may seem barbaric, but there was a cultural reason for it. The kings of ancient times usually ruled because they were great military leaders, because they were fighters. They didn't just send their armies off to war, they led their armies into war. But a king with no thumbs would have trouble hanging on to his sword. A leader with no toes would have uncertain footing in battle. So to cut off the toes and the thumbs, the big toes and the thumbs of a king would render him useless for both battle and for leadership. And if my thumbs are cut off, gang, I have trouble handling this sword. If my big toes are cut off, I lose my sure footing in the battle. And you may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? How does that apply to me? Where are we going with this? Well, we're going to go back to Leviticus. So keep your finger there, not your thumb, your finger in the book of Judges. Flip back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 8. Chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8, in verse 22. I apologize, by the way, for the toe puns, but what are you going to do? I mean, you, can't, you cannot just let that go. Right on. Thank you, Larry. As you thumb your way back to Leviticus. Chapter 8, verse 22. I'll leave that to you. You know, it's, what's great about this is I tell really, really stupid puns on occasion, and what happens is during the week, people call me up or email me with things that they've thought of. And I'm like, well, I'm really glad we're growing in the faith <laughs> and in our understanding of Scripture. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22. This is an interesting time here. It's the consecration of the priests of Israel. Watch what happens. Moses presented the second ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near, and he put some of the blood on the lobe of the right ear, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around the altar. Listen, gang. Peter says very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says you, and he's specifically talking to Gentile believers at this point, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. How do you know, Rick, that he was talking to Gentile believers? Because right after that, Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people in the Lord. He's talking to Gentiles. The Jews were a people before. They were always the people of God. But once, you and I, we were not. We were outside of that, outside of what Paul calls the commonwealth of Israel. We didn't have the the fathers and the patriarchs and the promises and the word. It wasn't for us at that time. But now, Peter says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. And like the priests of Israel, we too are ordained with the blood 
placed on the lobe of the ear. The blood placed, applied to the thumb. The blood applied to the big toe. And you may say, okay, Rick, you're losing me here. Why did God have them put sacrificial blood on the earlobes and on the thumbs and on the toes and how does that apply to me? Listen carefully. Bible students, you may recall this. We talked about this back in Leviticus. The blood on the earlobe indicates a priest will be listening to the word of the Lord. He will hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. And what was it that Jesus said again and again in Matthew 11:15? He who has ears, let him hear. Blood applied to the ear, a, a signifying, a reminder that this priest is listening to the word of the Lord. Secondly, blood on the thumb. Uh, why there? Because a priest must, must keep the work of his hands under the blood. That the blood is applied to the work of the hands of the priest, always covered by and dispensing mercy. The job of the priest was sacrifice. Why? So that the people could have mercy. And so for you and for me, Paul says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So as a priest in the royal priesthood with blood on my thumb, the work of my hands, gang, is to dispense grace, mercy, to point people to the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Blood on the earlobe, blood on the thumb, the work of my hands must exemplify this sacrificial love of Calvary, the unconditional love we've been talking about. And number three, blood on the big toe. Why there? It's a reminder to walk in the way of self-sacrifice. To walk in the way of grace. Matthew chapter 20 verse 26. Jesus said, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what the blood does to me. The blood that's applied to the earlobe, the thumb, the big toe. It opens my ears to the word. It keeps my work in his grace. And it directs my walk in that place of self-sacrifice. But we're talking about Adonai Bedzek, a pagan king who lost his thumbs and big toes. That's right. And the same thing can happen to you and me. We can, we are in danger of the possibility of losing our thumbs. Of having our big toes lopped off. Huh? This pagan king gang learns an amazing spiritual truth which is still at play at work in our lives today. Look at verse 7 of Judges chapter 1. Adonai Bedzek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table as I have done so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. As I have done so God has repaid me. I call this digital discovery. Here is Hanani Bensek looking down at his own digits. He used to be able to count all the way to 20 and amaze his friends. Now, he can only count to 16. 
Both thumbs gone. Both toes gone. But as he looks at his thumbless hands and his toeless feet, he discovers something about himself. He remembers that he looks now just like 70 kings that he himself had totaled. <laughs> had cut off their toes. Some of you are going to get that tomorrow. He cut off the thumbs and toes of 70 kings. And he realizes as he's looking at his own fate, at his own demise, he realizes this is exactly what I did to 70 kings like me. What goes around comes around. What you do will return upon you. This is an astounding truth for this pagan guy to even recognize. I am now reaping what I sowed. And that's what Paul sums up for us, the principle in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And this is an irrefutable principle in life. For believers and non-believers, whether you have a relationship with God or not, this is a truth that happens to everybody. What you plant here is going to crop up over here, whatever it is. What I sow, what seed I put into the ground, into my relationships, into my life, will grow. I will reap what I put into the ground, what I planted. How I live here will come back and affect what I do and how I live here. Those of us who are getting along a little bit here in life, I call that over 40. When you get there, you begin to be able to look back and and realize, wow, this is happening to me now. And I did this same thing to someone else ten years ago. That's what Adonai Bezek is saying. I've spent my life cutting off the thumbs and big toes of these kings. I made them eat scraps under my table. And now I am getting exactly what I did. I'm reaping what I planted. Gang, what you do in life will come back to haunt you. What you plant will crop up again. The way you treat others is the way eventually you will be treated. Now listen, if you feel like people are against you, if you feel like people don't treat you fairly, if you wonder why you don't have more friends, if you feel like, man, others just don't care about you or pay enough attention to you, Jesus said these following words, Luke 6, verse 38. He said, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If I sowed seeds of discord or discontent, that's what I'm going to get in my life. If I have planted bitterness over here, I am going to reap bitterness over here. If I cut people off, if I cut them down, if I treat them like dogs under my table, guess where I'm going to end up eating? Like a dog under someone else's table. What you reap or what you sow, you will reap. And it doesn't get any more practical than this, gang. Critical people are going to be criticized. Mean-spirited people will be treated in kind. Judgmental people will find themselves judged. What you sow, you will reap. And it may not happen today. And it may not happen tomorrow. But do not be deceived. It's going to crop up. It will happen again. Sin-hardened character, gang, plays itself out over and over and over. Some people say, well, life just dealt me a bad hand. Well, maybe you ought to check the hands of some people that you've come across in your life. 
Maybe you've been cutting off some thumbs and you didn't even realize your behavior was causing pain and hurt and heartache to others. And the pain and hurt and heartache that you're experiencing now, man, maybe it's coming back around. I was talking with Andrew Campbell yesterday and he shared with me something I thought was profound. He was saying how, you know, a lot of times as believers in Christ, one of the first things that we do when things go wrong in our lives is we blame Satan. You know, we trip, we stub our toe. And we go, oh, Satan's trying to get me down today. Instead of stopping and going, what did I do to get here? One of the first places, and I'm talking to mature believers, and if you want to be a mature believer in Christ, here's what a mature believer thinks. First, what did I do? And how can I repent of this? Because here's the first place that it probably started. Now, if this is making a few of you uncomfortable, hang with me. Because grace is on the way. It's right around the corner. Maybe you've been the one, though, who's stepping on the toes of others, and when someone steps on your toe, you go, how unfair is that? But you've been doing the same thing, and it's just finally catching up with you. Gang, it's a truth that is as sure as breathing. We reap what we sow. But there's an upside to this. There's a positive. If I'm seeking to bring joy into the lives of other people, I will be a joyful man. If I am planting the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to find my life becoming more fruitful. You know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I've encouraged you before. I do it again. Memorize those nine things. The fruit of the Spirit. Seek to play those out, to live those out, to pattern your life after those nine things. Ask the Lord to grow and produce that in you. Because as we replant that fruit into other lives around us, we just get more fruitful. It's an amazing process, but it's true. If I'm moving from Philadelphia to Agape and my concern is for others, I will begin receiving amazingly Agape, though that's not the reason to do it. I will begin to live in that place of unconditional love. I will recognize it more and more as the Lord pours it out on me in my life. Jesus said, again in Luke 6.38, He says, Give, and it will be given to you, and they will pour into your lap a good measure. And I like how He describes it. He says, Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And then he says, for by your standard it will be of measure, it will be measured to you in return. He's giving them this, this powerful picture in the marketplace there in Jerusalem. You can see people coming in to buy grain. And as they buy those bags of grain, Jesus describes it as like taking that bag and it gets filled up. But there might be little air pockets in there, so they shake it to get rid of all those. And the grain shakes on down and, and now there's more room, so they pour more in. Shake it a little bit more. And then they press it down and they pour more in until it's pouring over. That's a good deal. And Jesus says, if you give, it will be given to you in that way. They'll pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now that's often used, that verse, as a tithing verse. To talk about church finances and giving. But that's not the kind of giving Jesus is talking about here at all. The giving Jesus is talking about, well, listen to the context. In verse 35 of Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. When was the last time you were kind to somebody ungrateful and evil? 
I can remember the last time, but I also remember that I wasn't kind to them again. (laughs) He says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. Give what, Jesus? Give mercy. Give forgiveness. Give kindness. Give love. Give of yourself in relationships. Jesus says, man, if you give like this, it's going to come back on you and that is the city of agape. That's where I want to live. Jesus is talking about agape love. Again, again, there's something to learn from this heathen king. Something many of us Christians would do well to understand, and I hope this point gets driven home. Adonai Bezek, gang, when the truth hits, he embraces it. He embraces it. When he recognizes what he sowed and what he's reaping, he accepts it as his responsibility. And that is Christian maturity. Owning my stuff. Rather than placing it off on somebody else or even on Satan. Now, by the way, Satan's at work. And he's working hard. And there is evil at work in this world. But the mature believer starts first with themselves and then moves on down the line to see what else might be causing the problem if it's not you. The mature Christian owns their own stuff. 1 John 1 says, If we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus said comically in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Deal with your stuff first. Check your eyes. Look at your thumbs and toes. Think about what you have been doing first. And if that's all clean and right and great and going well, then you go help your brothers and sisters with their sin. Do you get the picture? (laughs) Has anybody completely cleaned the sin out of your life? If you have, great. Then you need to help the rest of us. But if there's a speck of sin in your life, deal with that first. Deal with that first. Honestly, I don't have enough time in my day to be looking for specks in your eyes. I'm working on getting the log out of mine. And I'll tell you something, it makes me a whole lot more understanding when people cut me down or criticize me because I realize I am guilty of the same thing. I have lopped off toes. I've cut off thumbs. And I probably deserve the criticism from somewhere down the line. Let me tell you what I don't deserve. I don't deserve love. And I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve kindness or grace, but God gave it anyway. I'm not deserving. But He is giving. And you might say, well, yeah, but even if I own my sin, I take that responsibility. Are you saying that all the bad stuff I've sown over the years is going to come up eventually? Because when I look back at the bad stuff and I think, man, I'm in for a rough go. If all this stuff is going to affect me later, if it hasn't affected me yet, this this is what I have to look forward to? Guilt and bad stuff popping up in my life for the rest of my life. No, the answer is wonderful. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things, listen, the old things have passed away. The new things have come, and in Jesus, everything changes. All those things that I did. Now, now, gang, sometimes things crop up. But when the new comes, 
The old passes away. Adonai Bezek died thumbless and big toeless in disgrace because he died in the flesh. But listen, our Adonai Bezek, our Adonai Bezek, what do you mean? Our Lord of Light. Our Lord of Light, Jesus Christ, did something amazing. His thumbs weren't cut off. Instead, his entire hands were pierced through by the nails. He didn't have his big toes cut off. A nail was driven through his feet and the blood poured out. Why? So that we could scrounge around and eat crumbs from under his table? No! My Adonai invites me to dine at his table as one of his children, even, the Bible tells us, Psalm 23, even in the presence of my enemies. He didn't just lose a few fingers. He lost his life so that you and me, so that you and I could be saved. He did what I couldn't do. That I might learn to do the very thing he did and that is love others without condition. One more verse. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. He writes, Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord until He comes to rain righteousness on you. Let's pray. Father, we learn a very basic principle here. It's not something new to us. That what we sow, we also will reap. But I, I just, I've got to praise You, Lord, and thank You that the things I've sown in the past, Jesus reaped. Jesus took on His shoulders there on Mount Calvary at the cross. I am so thankful for the blood applied to my life. The blood applied, Lord, to my ears that I might hear You better and to my thumbs that I might grip a hold of Your Word and that my works may be from what I've learned and know from Your Word. That The blood's been applied to my toes, Father, that I might walk with You. Lord, as we pray, we repent. We repent of those things we've done, of our critical nature. We repent of our judgmental attitudes toward others. We repent. Father, and each of us know these times of the things we've done in the past to hurt rather than to bring joy and life to others. We repent. And we're sorry. And we ask, Lord, that you will give us opportunity if relationships have been lost because of the things we've done to restore. But Father, may we walk in your way. May we be responsible, but Lord, filled with the joy of the Spirit at what you've done in our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.